How you guys doing today? Nice, that was better. Well, hey, welcome to the Remnant. My name is Todd. Uh, see if I only do it once today. I'm a pastor here, so I'm excited. I'm one of them. Who likes games? Me too. And what we're going to do is we're going to define the, the word. So I'm going to give you a word, and you're going to tell me what it is, right? I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to give you a description, and then you tell me what that word is. Make sense? So, for instance, uh, this is made of what? Wood. Yeah. See, some of you are unsure already. You gotta, that's a warm-up. Huh? Raise your hand. No, you, you can just say it. All right. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Thank you, though. We need to be orderly just in case. All right. Here we go. You ready? Who's excited? Yeah. It would have been more fun if I did a competition. Here we go. What is the bread? Now, I have to give, I have to use funny words here, okay? I can't use the word, so don't make fun of my made-up definition here. What is the bread mix that you put inside a turkey called? Stuffing. Stuffing. Is that anyone else? Stovetop. Stuffing, stovetop. Yeah. Huh? Dressing. Awesome. Okay. Stuffing, stovetop, and dressing. Perfect. So, uh, all of those we would agree are used, right? But here's the thing. You all three said different words for the same thing. Now, I want to take one of those words and mess with you some more. You said dressing. I like that. What is the flavored liquid that you put on a salad called? Okay, you don't call it that. I guarantee you he doesn't go, hand me the salad dressing. Yeah, dressing, right? You're right. Dressing, not ranch. Dressing. We're, this is, we should have done the hand raising, Ernie. This has gone mad. Yeah. It becomes a conversation. Okay. We'll do the hand raising. I think that's what we'll do at this point. All right. So, dressing. Yes. Bread, you put in a turkey. Liquid you put on a salad, both called dressing. Are they the same thing? Can you imagine filling a turkey with ranch? Some of you would be happy. I would be grossed out, right? You don't do it. It's not the same word. Okay, what is, this is, this is a race. Raise your hand. But you got to wait till I look up. What is the white, <laughs> I had to make a definition, the white, sweet, grainy powder that you put on cereal, oatmeal, inside desserts, etc., to make it sweet? Jack, you cheated though? Huh? Sugar, correct. Sugar. I saw your Ernie. He cheated a little bit. Sugar. Okay, so is anyone here from the south other than me originally? South. You're down there. You live there. That counts. Down there, or maybe not even the south. Some of you have grandmas, grandpas. Has anyone ever said this phrase to you? Hey, come give me some sugar, sweetie. Raise your hand if you've heard that. All right. Did you go get a cup of sugar and hand it to your grandma? If you did, you're odd. Anyway, no, right? That's not what she's asking for. What is she asking for? A kiss, love, right? A kiss. So once again, you guys are in a rare form today. We're all, that's fine. Listen, yeah. So sugar is what you put on your Cheerios, but it's not the thing your grandma's asking for when she says, hey, come give me some sugar, right? That's not the same thing. Same word, different definitions. What is the thing you grab in a grocery store, you grab it at the front, that you use to put things in you're going to buy? Ernie. A cart. Okay, who has a different, you want to call it something else? Buggy. She said that with that southern sweet draw. What? Basket. A basket. Okay, we got a cart, a buggy, a basket. <sighs> okay, what, does anyone else call the cart anything else? Cart, buggy. Did you know that in Massachusetts, they called a carriage? Isn't that weird? Strangely enough, but listen to me. So, that's a cart, a buggy, a carriage. Now, do you know what they call a buggy in Napanee, where I'm from? What's a buggy? Yeah. A car? No, it's close. Yeah, it's the thing 
it's that the Amish use, that's drawn by their horses, okay? Buggy. Same thing. Depending on who you're talking to, if you're down south maybe, right? That tends to be what they call it, a buggy, a lot of people. That means one thing. Up here, you're going to get your horses and getting ready. All because what? Because we are defining the word differently depending on, ready, our past experiences. The experiences that we bring to the table. Here's a funny one. I got one more for you. I think this is interesting. This is an AJ one. You'll like this, Norman. What do you call all together the flavored syrup, chocolate syrup, nuts, cher- cherries, candy, all that that you put on like a Sunday? What is that called? Toppings. Yeah. Anyone else have a different word? Fixins. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. You want to know something weird? Supposedly in Ohio, it's called dope. <laughs> I'm not joking you. Look it up. See, somebody's already looking. Randy's looking at me like, I don't believe you, Todd. Look it up. That's what it's called. Dope. They call it dope. Now, as you and I know, if you're AJ, dope means awesome, apparently. Well, if you're in New York City on the police force, dope means something different, right? All depending on where you come from and what you bring to the table. Words are funny, guys. I love words. I'm a wordsmith. That's what I call myself, right? Sometimes we use the same word, but we have a completely different meaning when we use the word. So in the cases I just told you guys about, in carriages and buggies and fixings and, and uh, dressing and all that stuff, it's kind of funny. We laugh. Pop, right? It's called pop, by the way, not Coke or soda, right? <clears throat> so I uh, see I'm about to start a fight over that. That stuff, listen, that's silly and it's funny and we can debate and argue, but it's not... Life or death, it doesn't, death, it doesn't change life, really. It won't cause too big of an issue if someone uses a different word to mean the same thing. But what happens if we're talking about something that's more important than ice cream toppings? In Christianity, we're very quick to point that certain words have different meanings according to the world. All Christians will say that. Well, we don't mean it. The world standard of um, holy, right? Holy and church, going to church. Take me to church. He ain't talking about church. Right, the song, you know that song? Nice, pretty song. You shouldn't. It's not talking about taking you to church. It's a nice song. I like the song, but he ain't talking about going to church. That's a different definition. Holy, sanctified. People are going, what are you talking about? What's sanctified? What does that mean? Even the word, like I said, church, means something different. And we'll go, yeah, we know what we're talking. We have our language, right? And the world has theirs. And even though we can talk together, when we come together, we all speak the same language. Here's the problem. We don't always. The danger is sometimes we allow the world's definitions of things, definitions of certain words, to affect, infiltrate, and subtly change the meaning of the words we use that come from Our God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Stay with me. So even church, if I listen to that song, we tend to, the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, this is a really nice song. He's talking about going to church, must be a Christian. You're like, nope, ain't what he's talking about. There's a danger in that. And here's what becomes crazy. Sometimes, though, you ready? Sometimes we'll still differentiate between the world. Okay, so let's take the word love. We're going to talk about that today. I skipped ahead. Now, we will say, every Christian will say, yeah, our definition of the word love is different than the world's for sure. But what if I told you that the definition we use in church isn't always the same definition that God uses? If we use the wrong, if we use words the wrong way long enough, it can change 
the meaning of the word. The bottom line is there are a lot of words in Christianity and the church today that we use that I think we're using incorrectly. You see, you believe because you're a Christian, you can continue to believe the same thing about, let's say, love, and it's true because you're a Christian. It is what I say it is because I'm a Christian and I define it. And at least 20 of us in my church agree that it's the same meaning. Even the word truth. Always drove me crazy about truth. Some of you in this room, I like to pick on you because you think it's your truth, not my truth. The word itself implies there's only one. <laughs> so you can tell me I'm wrong, that's fine. But you can't tell me I have a truth and you have a truth. That is illogical. It's the same with these words. There has to be a definition. If in Christianity, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, Bob's a Christian, and we're all talking about the same thing, shouldn't we know what we're talking about? Shouldn't I know? That you're not talking about the horse-drawn cart, but you're talking about the cart in the grocery store, right? If we're talking about the same things, we have to have the same definition. But sometimes we don't. And I believe it causes a lot of conflict within the church because sometimes we'll go into small groups and sometimes we'll be in community and someone will say or do something and then we start judging them based on the definition we have for the word. We have to remember sometimes... The biblical definition of. We both need to know what the biblical definition of. And we need to redefine the words that we use. Using God's word as the dictionary. God has to be the one to tell us. Now here's the thing. This is why I get so passionate about Christians. Like I'm one of them. And I get so mad at us because the reality is you don't want to look in the mirror. We have to look in the mirror and you have to be willing to change. If you go throughout an entire year, we're at the end of the year, I didn't even mean to do this, and there hasn't been one time that you've looked at your life and said, I need to change something, then I'm wondering who God really is, the God of the Bible or yourself. Because you're determining, what you, don't you think it's funny that you and God seem to always agree? That's odd, isn't it? I don't always agree with him. I don't. What do I mean by that? I don't like certain things he tells me to do. It's particularly in the way I respond when people are being evil to me. I want to respond a certain way. I was wired that way, raised that way. I'm like a pit bull, right? And then God changes you. And sometimes I don't get it because sometimes then people can get away with injustice, right? And you start to go, man, is God really going to come through someday? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And I'm like, you sure you don't want to share some of that with me, God, right? We need to redefine that. Sometimes we have to be able to face that our Christian definition may not be the same as God's definition. And the beauty in that, guys, is not just to challenge us, but we can also be encouraged because God's love, for instance, is far better than the way most of us define it. His love for you and me. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look to redefine the terms that we use all too often in our faith. And by redefine, we mean return to the true meaning. I'm not going to give you some new definition. We're going to look at God's definition, and you and I are going to have to look at our definition and decide which one's true. Because here's some reality for everyone in this room. There's going to be something in these lists, because I got you list people, I still got you, that does not line up with yours. 
And here's the reality. It's either you change or God change. Which one do you think is going to change? It ain't going to be God. You don't have to change either, but you're going to be miserable, and you're going to have to talk to him about it someday. So, we're going to take back the words that have such an important meaning to our faith. And in doing that, not only do we uh, help ourselves understand God more and understand his word, we create a healthier community within our churches, and we give a better picture to the world of who Jesus really is. So today we're going to start with one word that every Christian would say is the crux of our faith. They would, every Christian would say they believe this. It's the word love. See, if I told you guys ahead of time, who thinks love is good? Everybody's going to raise their hand, even the non-Christians in the room, because the reality is, and if you, we, we view it that way. And if not, then it's even more sad because you've bought into the lie that it's something bad, probably because hurt's attached to it. So in order to do that, I want to read three verses that tell us why it's so important to understand love. Seem fair? All right, we're going to start with, I'm just going to rapid fire through these. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is one of those verses that we're kind of like, that's really pretty, until you understand that it's reality. He says, listen, you need to love each other because why? Love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So you ready for the flip side? If you're not loving people, what does that mean? Maybe you haven't been born of God. Maybe you don't know God. It is one of the signs of Christianity. Now, immediately everybody's like, well, I'm good then because I love. Are you? Because we need to know what that word love means. What if I told you that God means I'm supposed to kill all the infidels? That's love. I know that's crazy, but it's truth, right? I'm saying meaning people think these types of things. We have to know what the word means. And in Christianity, all too often, we immediately go, oh, I know what that means. Do you? Because I'm going to be honest, when I started thinking through this, what is love, it started to become hazy for me. It's too easy for me to slip my own things into it. Next verse, this is Jesus himself, Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, they're talking to Jesus, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second, by the way, it doesn't say like God. Like God. Be, be cool with him. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. I love that. Jesus just said, listen, don't complicate this for you. If you love God and love people, you don't need to worry about all the rest of the rules because you're going to naturally do them. How do we know that? Because if I love you, I'm not going to kill you. If I love you, I'm not going to steal your car. If I love you, I'm not going to take your wife. If I love you, I'm going to do these things, and I'm not going to do certain things. Well, what do you mean about God? What do you, well, if you love God, you're going to what? Do what God says to do. He says that. Those that love me follow my commands when they feel like it. Hmm, nope, that's not on there. We have to start being honest with ourselves. This is in my notes, but even that phrase... I, do you ever actually stop and let yourself think of how many times you're just willfully disobedient to God? Don't lie to yourself anymore. You just straight up don't want to listen. And you can spin it all you want. You can say that it's because I'm sad and my, my God's okay with me having a bad day and all these other things. But do not mistake his love and mercy and grace, right, with his um, approval. 
And it's a serious thing. We make grace cheap when we believe that God's grace means we don't have to do what he says to do. It becomes cheap. We have to do this. You want to change Christianity. So many people, you know, I was that guy. I've heard me say it. I hate the church and I don't like Christians, blah, blah, blah. You're one of them. In order to change something, we all have to change. We spend too much of our time trying to change everyone else. When if we would all just focus on ourselves and changing ourselves, for instance, if Todd loved really well, there's one person in the room that loves really well. And then maybe Bob over here, who we all know if you've been here long enough in my examples, my made-up person, he is very grumpy and a terrible person. Maybe he'll start loving better. There's certain things in Christianity, I've done this long enough now, which is crazy to think about. Even people within my own church, I've watched them go, oh, the love talk. (laughs) Tell me something deep, Todd. I've been studying the Greek. Right? Dude, some of you are like trying to like write sonnets when you need to be studying the ABCs. You see what I'm saying? You need to learn the fundamentals before you start moving on to writing Stephen King thousand page novels, okay? Well, if you don't like Stephen King, pick one. All right? <laughs> it's time. If that's your mindset, if every time, a, it doesn't have to just be me. Your church, maybe you have a home church and you're just visiting. Every time the pastor talks about certain topics, you're like, oh, God, just give me something that applies to me. Come on. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. We're getting closer to a definition. Notice this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a powerful verse. It's got two incredible things here. Two incredible things that you as a Christian in this room, if you say, I am a believer in Jesus, this is crucial for you. I want you, don't, if you don't take anything else from me today, take this verse home and think about this. Let's listen to what he says. It's not a suggestion. Jesus doesn't talk in suggestions. He talks in truth. Ready? I give you a new command. Here's my command. A command from who? God. So it's not optional. Let's start there. Love one another. That's simple. Love people. Everybody's like, so far I'm with you. You ready? He starts, he, starts cha- he starts making people upset now. Just as I have loved you, you must love one another. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, at this point, they're probably okay with it. God, you've been giving people bread and healing people. It's been great. And also telling people what truth is. And also standing up against injustice. And also caring about the poor. And touching lepers and the people that the world says to leave alone. God went to them. Jesus went to them. That is love. Jesus forgave when he was spat on and turned on and betrayed over and over and over again. But some of you in this room won't forgive someone the first time they lie to you. Then what's the next thing? He says, oh, you want to know, you want people to know if you're my disciples, you say you follow me? Great, here's how you do it. If you have love for one another. Don't tell me you follow me. Show me. And how do you show them? It's not that big check you write, although that shows your faith sometimes, right? Sometimes. Although sometimes it shows your faith in yourself and wanting to be seen. No, it's how you love people. He could have said anything here. I always get fascinated by that. Jesus could have said, by how many people you convert, by how many, how good of sermons you preach, by how much you serve in church. No, he says, by how you love one another, the world will know you are mine. How did Jesus love? He died for you. Jesus makes a comment one time. It's pretty interesting. I've been, it's been going over my head a lot. He says, I'm paraphrasing, he says, listen, 
couple things. No greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. How far, you want to know how far I want you to go? Are you willing to die? Because I am. That's what he's saying, right? Then he continually defines it, man. There's so many verses, guys, I didn't even put in here. He talks about enemies. You know what he says? He goes, listen, you guys say it's really good to love your friend. He goes, but even evil people love their friends. I'm telling you to love your enemy. I don't love my enemies very well. I have to, I had this happen this week. I have an enemy. I prayed for my enemy many, many times because I was having many, many negative thoughts. Now we're going to define it again. 1 Corinthians, you guys know 13. Here it is. Todd, I know this one by heart. Do you? Listen. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Oof. That's the one. I went through this phase a few months ago. My people that are close to me know this. I, I'm probably not supposed to tell you because I'm supposed to be a pastor. I'm supposed to never have these thoughts. But I was like, love isn't real. I know you're thinking I was being dramatic. I probably was a little. But I was like, love doesn't exist. It's not real. Nobody does this. Nobody does it. Nobody does this. Love isn't real. How do I know that? I just start thinking about, I'm, I'm, I don't even want to tell you because then you think I'm going to condemn you, but like how many people did I say I loved in my life? Girls. I did. And well, how many girls told me they loved me? And now they're married to another guy, and I'm like, wow, that, that's a weird, twisted thing, isn't it? Right? I, really, romantic relationships are easy because we always say those things. I'll never love anyone like you. Two years later, you're married with three kids with someone else. I don't know how you had three kids in two years, but you get the point. But I realized that, um, you know, there's a limitation in our language. The Bible has several words for love. And we're talking about the one that matters. Love never ends. I can still have love for that person, right? But love can't be that crazy high that I get because that fades. And that's why some people jump from relationship to relationship because they're not really looking for love. They're looking for the high. It's just another drug. Love is patient. Let me ask you, you, you want to know right now today, just a starter of whether you're doing a good job loving. Todd is patient. Nope. Todd is kind. Sometimes. Todd does not envy. I'm decent at that. Is not boastful. Eh. Is not conceited. Does not act improperly. Fail. Is not selfish. Fail sometimes. Is not provoked. Definitely fail. Does not keep a record of wrongs. I do, I do a pretty good one on that. What's your answers? Because unless you can say you do them across the board really well, then you're not defining love the right way. Finds no joy in unrighteousness. That's one of those ones where like, oh, what's that mean? You want to know the true depth of the evil inside your heart without Jesus? How many times do you love to stick it to someone? That's evil if you think about it. How many times do you enjoy that moment of just giving, giving it back to them? making them feel small because they made you feel small. Now do you understand why that becomes very powerful? Those snide comments you make that you didn't need to make, and that, you ready for the true depth of the evil in your heart without Jesus? It's not you, it's the old you. That part that delights in it. 
that likes seeing that look on their face because it makes you feel tough and strong for a second. Man. Rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Puts up with people's mistakes and their flaws. What if they do it over and over and over again? Like I do to God every day, like you do. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never ends. Now, of course, guys, there are people out there, and we're going to show you that too. There are people out there in the church today that, that use love to manipulate too. They paint manipulation with the word love to get you to do what they want. That's not true either, and that's not what God's talking about. We're going to talk about that. But overall, I'm telling you, this, this alone, yes, it's beautiful. It's beautiful if you assume that you are all these things. But when I look at it, I say, man, I have a long way to go. And I can't judge it based on, what did you hear me? I even did it. I didn't plan this. I said, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. Pretty good's not good enough. Something drives me crazy. I had, I had a talk with a couple of friends of mine and, and, um, recently, and they, I was talking about this concept of like, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot better than I was. And I, I understand the principle of that because a lot of times we're condemning ourselves. Right? And that's why we want to make sure the world, like, don't you see anything? But the truth is, like, sometimes that can become an excuse to not continue to seek holiness. Because God didn't tell us to do something that we're not equipped to do. You hear what I'm saying? That would be cruel. God doesn't say, hey, Gina, go breathe in water. We know why? Because she can't. It does, there's no amount of effort. There's no amount of prayer. There's no amount of that's going to make her breathe in water, probably. <laughs> and God's going to prove me wrong just to show up. But anyway... That's not going to happen. It's, it's not an option. And our tendency sometimes is to want to do that. But here's the beauty of it. We don't need to say that because God already sees it. He already sees that we're doing better, right? He already sees that and, and is proud of us and loves us in that moment. And we don't have to prove it to him. We don't have to prove it to him. We just got to keep doing it and allowing it to happen. So I'm going to give you two lists, and we're going to define these a little more, and I'm going to talk about specific situations that I believe, and you're welcome to test this against Scripture. I say this every time. You're not going to find verses that necessarily correlate with every single thing I'm saying, but I think you will find these in these verses. But go seek out God's Word, and there are numerous. Guys, I could have, just, I could have done a sermon where I'm just reading about love, okay? So we're going to talk first. I'm going to tell you what love is, and then I'm going to tell you what love isn't, because I think we do get manipulated, and God doesn't want that either. A lot of people, listen, ladies, especially you, actually guys too, that's a lie. I'm going to talk to you both. I, I, this is not on my notes. Christian ladies, you are going to have guys that come out there if you're single and they're going to start dating you, okay? And they're going to manipulate you and tell you that because the Bible tells you to submit to them, that loving them means you need to do everything they say and everything they do and be okay with everything they do and say. And that's how you can be a Christian woman. That is wrong, it's manipulative, and it's not biblical. You do not need to submit to anybody except your husband. Is your boyfriend your husband? No. Then he's not, you don't submit to him. Now, is it good to practice and respect? Absolutely. If, if, the, if the guy's trying to get you and he says, if you love me, you do X, Y, Z, and it goes against God's word, that's a lie. He's manipulating you. Men, it's the same thing. I've seen this a lot. And ladies, I'm going to say it, it happens in this church. You have a group of guys, 
in men's group in our lion heart that are desiring to be men of God. And what happens is, it's so funny, I hear it all the time. You are to love me like Christ loves the church, but I don't hear you say a darn thing about you supposed to submit to him as to the church or as to Christ. That's not your job. And you manipulate him and say, if you really loved me, you'd never go out and be with, you know, the guys. You'd never go golf once every six months. You'd never go to your friend's house. You'd never go serve at church. You'd never buy yourself anything. You'd never do that if you loved me. If you loved me, you'd obey me. Because that's what you're saying. And it's wrong. You know, that verse you're talking about, and everyone quotes in Ephesians, a beautiful thing that, that God does through Paul as he wraps it up and says, you should submit to one another. Do you know that? And what he means by that is serve each other. Not this constant power struggle about who's doing their job better. And then if they don't do theirs better, you don't have to do yours, right? That's what we think. We'll get to that. Anyway, completely not off off topic, not in here at all, but something needs to be said. If you're mad at me, that's okay. Get in line. All right, love is, number one, love is kind. I'm going to stop because everybody's skipping ahead. They're like, I already got this one. No, you don't. Love is not kind when you feel like being kind. Love is kind. I'm not going to define kindness before you because I think you know it. Inherently, we know what kindness is. It's a smile sometimes when you don't feel like it. It's a gentle word when it would be easier to be angry. It's trying to, maybe you're having a bad day and kindness is choosing not to spill that out on someone else. Because guess what? that causes. That's finding joy in unrighteousness. When you're miserable, and you know the old saying, misery loves company, and you want to make everybody else miserable, that's not love. Love is kind. So many Christians, they, they strike out right there. Christians are some of the most, when I worked, I worked at, uh, I can't say the name, I don't think, but I worked at a local Mexican restaurant chain, one of which is in Warsaw, Indiana. That's a chain. Anyway, I worked there as a server during, in college, and um, it's funny, man, Christians, I, I'm, I'm, I was a believer at the time, and I worked there, and two things I noticed right away. One was that the grace, <laughs> darn it, I shouldn't have said that, I went to Grace College, anyway. The grace people that worked there had a bad reputation. They had a really bad reputation. Because they were always out to get the money. They wanted the, the, the best tables, and they would, like, do shady things. That's what they felt like. Now, sometimes it probably wasn't true. I was the opposite. I was a guy paying 10 bucks so I didn't have to roll my silverware because I didn't want to do it. I didn't care about I did that many times. Um, but that's the one thing. And the second thing was nobody wanted to work Sundays. I'm not kidding. Because whether right or wrong, they said Christians were the rudest, the meanest, and the stingiest. Now, sometimes people just want to hate on Christians. That's right. All right. That's, they see the light and they don't like it. That's reality. It's not, we don't, but we should care. And when there's multiple people saying it, that's a problem. It shouldn't be that way. It is not hard to be kind. You think God's not seeing you when you're talking to that waitress? You think God doesn't see you when you're talking to that telemarketer that calls you and you cuss them out because how dare they call you? Sorry their boss told them to. You think God says it's okay to not be kind then? We've got to be better. Love is kind. You are to love people, which means you are to be kind when? All the time. For some reason, we've associated kindness with weakness. It's not. It takes a lot of strength to be kind. Number two, 
Here's the one I fail at. Patient. I am not patient. Guys, I'll confess it so you feel better about confessing yours. I am not patient. And you know what's scary about me is I'll justify it. I got to get it done. Why? Because I got to love you guys better. So ironically, I'm cruelly impatient to some people so that I can, because they're preventing me from loving you better. I'm silly, man. Patient. We see this in God. God first loved us. We love because God loved us. You know how patient God is with his people? Read the Bible. First humanity, but also Israel. Also Christians. How patient was Jesus with his disciples? Oh, my goodness. How patient is he with me, and how patient has he been with you? Well, how do I know he's been patient with me? Are you breathing? Then he's been patient. Patience, guys, is such a, when you, I get convicted. There are people out there who, the way they speak, even. Patience even plays into kindness. So I've told this story before. Tim's in here. It's okay. I, I'll use him in a bad way. When Tim first came to this church, um, we were at the little youth center. You guys know where we were at. And he first came, and like, I was talking to him, and him and his family were starting to come. And at the time, I felt this pressure all the time to talk to everyone. And I want, because I want to. I, do, I genuinely want to talk to everyone. And sometimes I've creepily came up to some of you that don't want to talk to me. But that's because I want to talk to you. But I used to think, man, if I don't talk to him, nobody is. Some reason I thought that. Well, when I would be talking to him, I'm looking past him to the next person. And he said to me, he's like, and it, he wasn't mean. He said, hey, man, I feel like when you're talking to me, you're already looking to the next person. And I'll never forget that for the rest of my life because that changed the way I approach everything. Because he was right. And then the truth is, the bottom line was I was being impatient. My business was more important than his time. And that's so, that's terrible, right? That's why some of you who say, oh, Todd, you're busy, I get so frustrated because I don't want to, I'm not busy. I don't, I'm not too busy. You know, I don't like that I come off that way. Busyness is an excuse to be impatient with people and to make them feel important. That's how I feel about it. So patience is patient with people's mistakes, you can't bear all things and bear with people's failings and, and carry each other's burdens if you're not patient. You can't. You can't do it. And we have a tendency sometimes to see and look back at people who aren't as mature as us in certain areas, and we're impatient with them, completely forgetting there are other people ahead of us that are more mature in other areas. You see what I mean? Whereas if we're all patient together, we're all moving along, right? This one's a little different. Number three. It's blind to worthiness. Todd, what does that mean? I did it weird. I want to get your attention because you're hearing the patient kind of thing. Blind to worthiness. True love doesn't care whether you're worthy of my love, whether you have a high social status that can benefit me. Love, love is blind to the clothes you wear. Love is blind to your smell. You think I'm kidding? Go meet a homeless person in New York City. And tell me you love them if you stand 12 feet away from them when you throw a $1 bill at them. Love is blind uh, to someone's past and mistakes. Love is blind to the worthiness of the person. Love is blind to whether your wife treated you the way you wanted to be treated that day. Love is blind to whether your husband failed you yesterday. It has to be. Again, we can see this in God. God is blind, right? He says, I throw your sins, I'm paraphrasing, I see them no more. That's a choice he makes. He's God. Of course he can see them. He chooses to not see them anymore. 
the church tends to, I just had this talk, I had a great talk uh, last week with a guy uh, who's in ministry. Great, great talk. And this wasn't him that said it. We were kind of talking about things. And we're talking about this just tendency to believe in, in, in America that we just kind of wait for the least of these to come to church. Like we just assume that because there's a church on every corner, they're going to come if they want to come. So it's kind of that mindset of like, oh, I'm not going, I'm not going there. They, I, I can't partake of sin. Like somehow walking into that place is, it taints you. That's not what I see in the example of Jesus. He didn't see that way. He didn't see a leper. He didn't see someone unclean. We do the same thing today. Unclean meant not holy, dirty, below me. How many people have we pushed away because we've made them believe that God's love for them is based on their worthiness? It can't be. Love is, number four, similar to this. You like what I did? I did, I did sight stuff. Perceptive. Love is perceptive. That's a good word. Isn't that a good word, Ernie? Love is perceptive. What does that mean? Looks for opportunities to love. The thing I love about Jesus is he walked around, and sometimes we always go, oh, the person ran to Jesus and came down in a roof and all these. They did. It was pretty cool that they were willing to do that. But also, he saw people all the time. He's walking along and just sees someone that's a paralytic. He's like, hey, uh, you want to walk? Oh, I can't get to the pool. I didn't ask you that. Do you want to walk? He looked for opportunities. In Christianity, sometimes we, we wait for the church to do it. Well, do we have a program for that? I did my love for the week. I donated to the Compassion Ministry, which is a good thing. But you get my point. Are, are you looking? When you go through your day, are you, you ready how it connects? Are you kind enough to look around? Are you patient enough to wait? Right? Are you blind enough to, to what it appears to be in their worthiness to be perceptive enough to look for ways to love people? Guys, I'm telling you, this, I was thinking about this the other day. So I'm a words guy, and I, I feel like sometimes my words, when someone, some of you have encouraged me with a text, to the degree that you don't even fathom it. And I can't tell you it in a text because you're like, sure, Todd. But it literally, like, I'm a little girl, right? No offense to girls. But I, like, I've cried before because then it came in that moment that I needed it because you took the time to be perceptive to see that something was off to encourage me and say, keep, walk, keep racing, right? Keep doing it. That's incredible. How many other people, you don't know how much you can show God to someone, Jesus to someone, just by meeting a smallest need. Number five. This one's seeking. Love is seeking the best for someone, and I have honest. Here's the beauty about Jesus. Jesus didn't love you by making you comfortable. The example I always like to use is, let's use a very serious deadly drug. Let's say heroin. Real love is not saying, hey, I know you love heroin. I'm going to love you. You know what? Let me just, I don't know how to use heroin, man. Let me shoot you up, okay? Am I right there? Heroin, no? Yeah, let me shoot you up with some heroin. I'm going to show them Jesus by shooting them with heroin. No, you're going to tell the person you love that's going to kill you. The church today has bought into the lie, and you guys have heard me say this, Mother Teresa or whoever said it, and it's a beautiful saying that we've twisted. Preach the gospel and unnecessary use words. And that means I don't ever have to tell anyone the truth. No. That's not what we see. We need to tell people. Sometimes, the, sometimes real love is saying what you're doing is wrong and it's going to kill you and it's tearing you apart. And sometimes love is saying, 
I know you're really heartbroken right now, but how many girlfriends have you had in the past year? When are you going to see that maybe you're looking in the wrong place? Love is saying, hey, you know, you've tried it your way. Are you willing to maybe consider a different way? Love is looking for the best for someone, not what makes them comfortable. And that's the problem, man. Too often we, we attribute love with comfort, right? If I make you comfortable, I love you. Before you said, look at that. Isn't that right? You ready? I can get real deep here. I don't want to. I shouldn't. <sighs> I could use culture today. If I don't do what the government tells me to do, I don't care if people die of COVID. That's what they tell me. If I don't do certain things, then I, don't, I want people to die. Do you see how ridiculous that is? If I really love people, I'm never going to tell you that your faith is dead, that the religion you follow isn't real. But Jesus tells me that's the case. Well, that, that, I don't, that's not loving. Well, Jesus told me that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. What is love? Telling you the truth or letting you die just because you believe it to be true? Christians, we got to see that, man. Don't let the world trick you. Don't let popular uh, mainstream church culture make you believe that because they will sometimes. No, uh, stop real quick because I didn't have this. I added it. With this, seeking the best for someone means also being forgiving. Guys, I'm telling you, we have, boy, if there's an area in the church today that we have messed up, it is how we deal with people that are in sin. <gasps> Even using that phrase. You ever notice we have a difference between they messed up and they're in sin? We just somehow define it differently. If you curse, you messed up. If you... Um, are an alcoholic, you're in sin. All right? What in the world? One will be like, okay, I forgive you. The other like, listen, you can't ever be serving the church today. You have a big problem. Forgiving. Seeking the best is forgiving people. Forgiving doesn't mean that we, there aren't consequences to sin, clearly. But once I came to them, I said, please forgive me. I talked to them over and over. I finally, and I wasn't even being a jerk. I said, what do you want? Do you want me to cut my arm off? What do I need to do? Because it's never enough. Number six, I got to move fast. I'm losing people. A talk and a walk. Quit just saying you love people. Go love people. Make an effort to walk around and do these things. I don't know what to do or how to make you understand it. Like everybody says that love is patient, love is kind, love keeps no regret of wrongs, love is encouraging, love bears all things. Do it. Give till it hurts. Talk to that person until 3.30 in the morning when you don't feel like it. Answer the phone at 4 a.m. because that person calls and you know what they're going to talk about, but you, they need to talk. Be Jesus. Every Christian in the world says they love I'm not even going to judge. Do you know a Christian that doesn't love? You can nod your heads. Or Do you know a Christian that doesn't love? Yes or no? The rest of you are unsure. Okay, good. You don't know. Well, the truth is we most of it. Then, then as a family, we have areas to improve. All right? Number seven, this is the most important one. Love is hard. Love is hard. It will have a cost. Sometimes the cost is time. Sometimes the cost is pride. When I let my enemy get away without me swinging my fist at him, that hits, I'm serious, that hits my pride. 
Guys, I make a joke about it, but, you know, I say these things on the pulpit because I want you to get comfortable with confessing to people and yourself your flaws. I have a real problem. Like, I'm not, a t- I'm not trying to be a tough guy. Like, I have to fight that. There are people that I genuinely want in my flesh to physically hurt. That is so evil, but I do. I do. And it's not because you, like, if you think it's because Todd won't be able to be a pastor anymore is what stops me. That's not it. Because in those moments, I'm not rational enough to think that way. It's Jesus. It's the fact that he didn't do it to me. It's the fact that there were times in my life that I looked at him and I just spat in his face. And he gave me a chance. And by giving me a chance, I came back around and maybe my enemy will do the same. Love is hard. Sometimes it's going to cost you forgiveness. Sometimes it's going to cost you embarrassment. Sometimes it's going to cost you looking like the weirdo. You should. The Bible says that God's people, that you're chosen and set apart. That's what it means. You are set apart. You are different than the crowd. You should stand out. If you meld in, mm, it's hard. Quit waiting for love to be easy. If it was easy, God wouldn't have to tell us over and over and over to do it, right? I just gave you three verses, four verses. That is not all of them. All right, what is love not? This is just as important. Love is not conditional, contractual, or reactive. What I mean by that is, like, I cannot base my love for you on whether you love me. That's not agape. Agape is this kind of love. That is not Christ-like love. It's not. And see, that's something, again, I'll use myself. I, I probably wasn't raised that way. I was raised sort of with an eye-for-an-eye mentality. Right? I'm good to those that are good to me. And if you're not good to me, then I ain't good to you. And you don't deserve that. I'm serious. That's sort of how my family is naturally. Um, they wouldn't put it in those words, but that's what it is. The record of wrongs thing, you wrong a Blanton? It's, I'm telling you, I've seen it with my family. With me sometimes. It cannot be conditional contractual, meaning a contract means what? That's what's the problem with marriage today. I will love you as long as you continue to love me well. And the moment you don't, our contract is null and void, and I will then get a contract with a new entity. And I'm not saying that to shame anyone, okay, because things that, that's not what I mean at all. Because if that's you in the past and that's what happened, okay, well now move forward in your new marriage or in a new relationship, then, then know that moving forward you want to do it because it's going to get hard. And you can't always control the other person, right? We know that. That doesn't mean you have to, we'll get to this, that doesn't mean you have to put up with abuse and all those kinds of things. We'll talk about that. But, but those are extreme cases. A lot of times the way that the media portrays love is very, very, very contractual. Love people as long as they do X, Y, Z for you can't be reactive. It can't be based on what you do to me. It can't. What do you think Jesus would have done then when we were hitting him with whips? Imagine him being reactive. Cities get burned to the ground, right? It's not like a vase getting broken. Jerusalem's destroyed. Number two, love is not selfish. Selfish is a word that we throw around and everyone's zoned out again, but guess what? It means you care more about you than about the other person. That's pretty much it. Selfish says, no one's going to love me, so i got to love me more than anybody loves me. And this it gets creepy, man. People will start painting this. People are going to start painting selfishness with self-love. Ooh, isn't that subtle? You can't love anyone until you love yourself. Hogwash. What am I, from 1500s? Anyway, right? 
That, I'm serious. If that's you, I'm not kidding. The principle behind it, I understand. What I would rather say is, listen, if you're looking for love to fill something in you, to fulfill you, then it's not going to work. But to say you can't love someone until you love yourself is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Because how can the rest of this be true then? You have to be able to love, right? You have to be able to love even if um, you're not getting love. You have to be able to love even if maybe you don't like yourself. I would not love many people. If it's ba- I don't like myself most days, right? And if I focus on that, then guess what I'm doing? I'm becoming self-focused, which becomes selfish, which means I'm not loving you. You cannot love yourself more than everybody else. I've said this before. Guess what? You are not the most important thing in the world. You're not. God has said you are to him, but you are not. The, you should not be the center of your own world. Have you guys heard the I am second videos? I've said this many times. I love that, by the way. I get the principle, but I like I am third. It goes God, people, me. That's what I strive for. I fail, <laughs> but that's what I strive for. Number three, Love is not fear-based. This is a big one. Sometimes people, sometimes we will say we're loving people. I see this with husbands a lot. Husbands, I'm going to pick up. I'm a guy. I can say this. When I, do, when I say the woman's side, boy, they get mad. But, guys, we do this sometimes. So what we do here is you will go around telling everybody that you're a great husband and you're loving your wife, Right? She doesn't want to go to church. I'm going to make it up. Your family, she doesn't want to go to church that day. She's not sick. She just, I just don't want to do it. It's stupid. And you literally say, you're not going. Your buddy asks you who's in your accountability group. Hey, man, why are you not at church? You know what? My wife didn't want to go, and I was loving her, so I stayed with her. No, I didn't. You were afraid of your wife nagging you and yelling at you and making you mad, and so you gave in. Now, but listen to me. It's a subtle, it's a heart thing. I'm talking about a heart thing. I can't tell you whether you're doing it out of fear base because sometimes you might stay home with her because she needs it. But be real with yourself. If you're doing it just not to be nagged, you're not loving her. You're not loving him. Love is not fear-based. How do I know that? The Bible says it. Those who fear have not been perfected in love because perfect love casts out all fear. It cannot be so. If someone is constantly trying to get you to do things with a threat, and they're telling you that this is what, if you love me, you would do this, and if you don't, X, Y, Z, that's not love. They tried to do that with Jesus, right? Believe it or not, subtly, let's think about it. They did. Hey, don't you love God? If you love God, then you would do what we tell you to do. The enemy did that too, to Jesus. Right? Do it or else. That's not love. And if you do that to other people, that's not being loving either. Number four. This is kind of with fear-based. Love is not people-pleasing. I know some people. I have a very, very good friend. Okay, if he's watching, he would be okay with me. I'm not going to say his name. I have a very good friend who's in the process, one of the best men I know. He is growing. <clears throat> I mean, he's a good man of God. I admire him in a lot of ways. But one of the ways he'll tell you is on the outside, he's very, very kind and loving and serves everyone. When it's me and him, he's mad and bitter all the time. You know why? Because he's loving you so that you love him and you're not keeping up your end of the deal. So he's really only doing it to please people, and then he gets really mad that people aren't pleased. I've, and he, he will tell you this, okay? And I love, I love him because he's in the journey now of admitting that and working through it, but that's his life. Everybody's like, why is this guy randomly angry? He's the nicest guy. It's because deep down he's never doing anything out of a true unselfish motivation. It's always to get something, not always, but you know what I mean. There are moments in his life when he is serving and loving, but it's not truly out of love. It's to please you. 
And why does he want to please you? Because then you will be pleased with him. He is good. And when you don't give him that credit he deserves, you see what I mean? Love is not people pleasing. Guys, you can't do it just to get. You will always, be, you will always feel empty because people are sinful and flawed. I gave you a gift. Why didn't you give me a gift? And I'm the type of guy who's like, I would never want a gift from you again, right? And number five, and this is kind of what I said earlier, love is not safe. It will have a cost. I want that to sit, I want you to sit in that. Listen to me. Any love, whether it's your love for your husband, right, no matter how long or your wife, how long you've been married, there are times when it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to love. That's a cost. And then it goes way far. All the way what? Well, Jesus shows us the ultimate example when he was willing to die. Some of us aren't even willing to let our pride die. And yet we say we follow him. She's going to come play some music. But before we get to that, and I know I went long again, I'm sorry. But this is such a big thing. I'll be shorter next time. Deal? Please come back. Anyway, um, this is so important. One of the beautiful things about this is all these things I've described to you, the things that love is, is how God loves you. Isn't that crazy? We love because he first loved us. It doesn't feel true sometimes, does it? It doesn't feel true that God can love me even though I've made the mistakes I've made, but he does. It's not true that God is patient with me when I do the same thing over and over and over again, but he does. It can't be true that God looks past my unworthiness and sees me and calls me son or daughter, but he does. It can't be true that God looks for ways to bless me and he will take my situations and work all things out for my good according to his purposes, even when it's a mess, but he does. It can't be that he loves me enough to tell me the truth even when it hurts, but he does. And it can't be that he just, he doesn't just say it, he does it. He loved when it was hard. If you're here today, do you know that God has never given up on you? Just you, that he's not given up on you. That God's love's not conditional, that it's not selfish, that he doesn't want you to be afraid of him. And the, well, I thought the beginning of wisdom is a fear of God. No, that's awe. He doesn't want you to live in constant fear of him. God's love is not just to please you, but it's to seek your best. And God's love has not been safe for him. See, now you know why I used to get mad when people are like, quit singing reckless love. You don't, you don't read a book. God's love's not reckless, because I'm going to go off on tangent. What they're saying is they're trying to imply that God can't be reckless because he knew it was going to happen, but it means reckless in the sense that it had a cost for him, that it hurt him. Make sense? I'm going to get some mean comments now. Let God know, listen, guys, God loves you like that. Let's redefine that word. Let's, let's literally start truly doing it, because you know you're empowered to do it in Christ. Let me ask you guys a question. What is love to you? Which parts made you mad? That's how I usually know God's talking to me. It's the ones I don't like to hear. Does your definition match God's, or have you diluted it and made your own version? Have you taken a lie, painted it with love, and now you say, this is love? I can forgive, but I don't have to forgive that. Are you unwilling to accept that the type of love God is calling to you to is not about your happiness or contentment? Oof. See, the beauty is God doesn't mean that you don't matter. He says, I will take care of you. Trust me. 
you worry about loving other people, I'm going to love you enough for everyone. And here's the irony. If everybody loved each other, nobody would not have love. Get it? If I love you and you love me, we'll both get loved. But if I love you and you love you, I don't get any love. Are you willing to change your definition today? Are you literally willing to walk out of here and be radically loving? And then the most beautiful thing of all, what if you believed and truly knew in your heart that God loved you this way? That God's not disappointed in you and mad at you if you're in Christ. He's not. You're his son. You're his daughter. It's gone. And even today if you're in the room and you don't know Jesus and you're like, oh, man. Today he's willing to say, come to me. Come here. And I'm going to clean you up. And I'm going to forget all of that. And we're going to start life, real life, for the first time in your entire life. Because up until this point, you've just been a zombie. I don't know where you guys, uh, where you're at, but I want you to know this. God loves you. And if you are in this room and you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, Todd, whatever, whatever. No, God does love you. And he made a way for you to be in relationship with him forever. But you have to be willing to turn away from your way, even the things that make you uncomfortable, and go his way. The Bible says if you confess with your lips... Say it and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead. You will be saved. If you haven't done that, well, I've done it. I've believed it in my heart. But have you said it? There's something about pride, man, that stops us from saying it. And if you're to the point where you've, yeah, I believe, I believe, unless you've made that declaration with your mouth, I don't know if I believe you. I don't need to be the one to hear you, but somebody should. Because it's the pride, right? It's hard to do that. Wherever you're at today, don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to. There's going to be people up here that are willing to pray for you. Maybe you've been hurt by people not loving you. Maybe you need to love better and repent. This is the altar, right? This is a holy place. You come and talk to God. People are praying for you. But take these next five, ten minutes and make them count. Do not leave the same as you came in because if you do, you are choosing to.